Well, welcome back to our study of Mark as a part of our Who is Jesus sermon series. Uh, today, we'll be finishing out chapter 4 of the book of Mark before pausing and jumping into the book of Colossians for the next several weeks. Um, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can click on the Bible tab just below this video. But more importantly, we would love for you to have your own copy. And so if you'll reach out to us at office at santacruzbaptist.com, uh, we would love to give you a, a Bible as our gift to you. So reach out to us and we'd love uh, to get you a Bible. In today's passage, we'll see Jesus on a boat in the middle of a storm. If you're paying attention, you'll notice that we did a little devotional on this text, or this, this story, at the beginning of Sheltering in Place. Uh, but we did it out of Matthew chapter 8, same story. Um, so today, we're going to be seeing that story, but from the pen of Mark. And uh, we'll be taking a much closer look at the text. Uh, this text is rich with so many different facets to it. Uh, the more I've studied it this week, the more in awe I am at Jesus and who he is. And that's exactly where this text wants to drive each and every one of us. To see who he is and to stand in awe. The last several weeks, we've seen Jesus teaching. And here, we'll get to see his power in action and on display. So, let's jump into the text. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is the word of the Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The text is broken down into three distinct sections. It's divided by the Greek word megas. You can kind of hear the word mega in there, uh, translated great. So in this text, we see a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. So those are our three main sections as we mine this text this morning. Point one, a great storm. Point two, a great calm. And point three, a great fear. So point one, a great storm. Look with me again at verse 35. 
It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. To set the stage for what's about to happen out on the water, the, the first three words here are important. On that day. What day? Well, that day seems to have started potentially somewhere in chapter 3, maybe at the beginning of chapter 4. Jesus has been dealing with the scribes and Pharisees, saying that he's possessed. He's been through a family intervention. He's been teaching all day to a crowd that almost crushed him. So he's in a boat as the crowd apparently stands on the sea, or on the, on the shore, hearing him. Uh, the point is this, Jesus, wherever that day started, has just endured a long day. So, that's where our text starts, on that day. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Notice this, Jesus, Jesus said, let us go across to the other side. This whole thing that's about to happen was Jesus' idea. He calls the disciples to enter the boat, and they obey. Keep that in mind. Verses 36 and 37, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, let's kind of zoom out a little bit and consider what exactly is going on here. First of all, when we read the word boat, they're not in a deadliest catch, big crabbing boat that's made to bust through crazy big waves. In 1986, uh, on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, an archaeologist actually discovered one of these boats, uh, which can be dated to this point in history. Was it the exact boat that Jesus and the disciples were on? Nobody knows. Probably not. But it does give us an idea of the type and size of boat that was common in Jesus' day. I've got a picture for it that will flash up here on the screen for you to look at. Uh, if you want to Google it later and take a closer look at it, it's fascinating. Uh, just Google um, Sea of Galilee fishing boat. Um, fascinating to look at. Now, I'm not sure that I'd want to go out into calm waters on this thing, much less a storm. But that's beside the point. These boats were about 27 feet long and could hold up to 14 people. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. We know that this sea sits about 700 feet below sea level. And more importantly, it's surrounded by mountains. What this means is there's a sharp drop in pressure and air systems that come over those mountains and then onto this body of water that's 700 feet below sea level. What this often resulted in was extreme storms, pressure systems caused by the wind. While this typically happened in the day, this time it didn't. 
They're, they're at night time in the still of night. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Jesus led them into this. Remember that. In Matthew's telling of the story, in Matthew chapter 8, he uses the word seismos to describe the storm. That's where we get our word earthquake from. This isn't a small storm. It's dangerous. So understand this. Following Jesus, obeying Jesus, doesn't always lead to smooth waters. And this is on purpose. I've titled this sermon, Storm Theology. Because I believe Jesus is teaching the disciples something that he never could have on dry land. Or out of a book, or even from one of his teachings. This storm was essential to their spiritual development. And here's the hard part. They're essential to ours, too. Without trials and hardship and failures and even suffering, we would never grow to be what we should become as followers of Christ. That's why Peter, one of those disciples who's in the boat here, that's why he could later say what he said to persecuted Christians. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. God often uses storms to show his power and to help us to trust him more. So don't be surprised when Jesus leads you through a storm, as though something strange were happening to you. I wonder, do you have a storm in your life right now? What if, what if you asked God to help you make the most of it? What if you saw it as an essential part of your discipleship and spiritual development? That's what Jesus was intentionally doing in leading and calling the disciples into the storm. Now, they're in the boat. The storm's raging. Where's Jesus? Verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> you, you boat people out there. Why do you have to have so many different words and names? Bow, stern, forward, aft, port, starboard. So confusing. Jesus is in the back of the boat, asleep. First of all, remember, Jesus has just had a long day. One facet of what Mark's trying to show us here is that Jesus is fully human. He's tired. He needs to sleep. He does. He's out cold in the back of the boat. Don't miss this. 
Jesus is fully man. But it's more than that. Jesus shows calm trust when everyone else is freaking out here on the boat. I, I don't want to spend too much time here, but isn't it telling that in the book of Mark, when everyone else is up, Jesus is asleep. And when everyone else is asleep, Jesus is up early, praying. Here, in the boat, everyone else is up and Jesus is sleeping. This is a good model for us. When everyone else is asleep, we're up, praying, reading God's Word, communing with Him. When everyone's up, worrying about the economy, elections, this, that, and the other, we sleep. We can sleep because we trust God. This is Psalm 127, right? Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives sleep, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Because it's true that the, the Lord builds the house and watches over the city, you can sleep. The question is, do you trust God enough to rest? Do you trust God enough to rest? So Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And look at what the disciples say. Given the circumstances, I'm sure that it was more of them yelling than saying Sure, there's a lot of screaming going on. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> I, I love the Bible because it's so real and raw. The stories we, we get of the disciples aren't airbrushed to make them look like heroes who had it all together all the time. Remember, <laughs> Mark's information was from Peter. One of the disciples who was on the boat. Jesus, don't you care? That's real. That's a real emotion that I'm sure many of us have had when going through a storm. You're going through a really tough time and it just seems to you like Jesus is indifferent. Hey, Jesus, little help. Jesus, don't you care? He does. A again, the, the presence of the storm doesn't mean that Jesus is indifferent or that he doesn't care. He does care. And he's teaching us something that only a storm can. Think about Mary and Martha in the story of Lazarus. Such a shocking story. There's this guy named Lazarus, and he's sick. And they send for Jesus. So John chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, they send for Jesus, and it says this. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We know that Lazarus died because he stayed there two days longer. Mary and Martha experienced real grief. Jesus intentionally let them experience a storm. He heard Lazarus was sick, and John tells us that because he loved Mary and Martha, he stayed two days longer before going to Lazarus. If you don't know who Jesus is, that seems really cruel and unloving. But we know the rest of the story, right? He eventually gets there. Everyone's grieving. Jesus wept. Then he displays his power through calling Lazarus to rise from the grave. Mary and Martha and everyone else there experienced the power of Jesus in a way they never would have outside the storm. They trusted him to new depths because of the storm. Jesus, don't you care? He does. He's in the boat with us. He's in the boat with you. And look at what he does next. Point number two, a great calm. Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. <laughs> this is unreal. Imagine that you're planning a nice day out with your family or your friends out to the beach or to the park. And a cold front starts to form. Big, dark clouds roll in and it starts to downpour. And right then, one of your buddies stands up and starts shouting at the weather. He looks defiantly at the thunderhead and yells, Stop it! <laughs> You'd think he's nuts. Unless it worked. From another angle, imagine that you were about to have a bunch of friends over to your house for dinner. And one of the guests shows up a little early, goes to your fridge, grabs out some food and a drink, and then starts to give orders and shout commands around the place. Hey, you, turn on the oven to 450. You, bring some water to a boil. Starts giving instructions to your kids. Now, I'm going to need you to sit down over there. Cut me up some carrots. Initially, you'd probably be patient and kind, but there'd come a moment when you'd probably want to say, what, do you think you own the place? <laughs> Picture the disciples in this moment. Jesus shouting at the storm. Jesus, do you, do you think you own the place? In fact, I do. I own the place. I created the place. Colossians 
chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Look at this. It says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You see it? Jesus is fully man. He sleeps when He gets tired. But He's also fully God. He calms storms with a word. He speaks to the weather and it stops. Who does that? It's, it's also fascinating, the word that Mark uses here. The word translated, be still, that Jesus speaks, it is literally, be muzzled. It's the same word Jesus spoke to demons in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when he said, be silent. You see that? Jesus is equally authoritative over nature and over Satan. His mission can't be stopped. He's the Lord of heaven and of earth. In the midst of a great storm, you can have great calm. Not because of anything in you, but because of who's in your boat. The safest place any of us can possibly be is in the will of God, with Jesus on your boat. Now, I, I hope you've heard me clearly. By, by safe, I don't mean smooth waters. But what I do mean is secure. If Jesus is in your boat, you can experience peace like a river when sorrows like sea billows roll. We've seen a great storm. Jesus has created a great calm. And now, point three, a great fear. Look with me at verses 40 through 41. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can you imagine this scene? You think you're going to die out on the Sea of Galilee. You rebuked Jesus. He rebuked the weather. And it stopped like an annoying car alarm. Honk, 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 boop, boop. Complete calm. You're standing there with your eyes wide open and your jaw on the floor. They're terrified. They were certainly scared before with the wind and the waves. But the text uses that word here, megas, great fear. See this. Some, some translations say they feared exceedingly. Their greatest fear actually came after the storm had passed because 
of who was standing in front of them. If you've never feared the Lord, I'm not sure that you've properly understood Him. I think of the famous quote at the end of C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This character, Susan, is talking to Mr. Beaver. And here's what she says. She says, speaking of Aslan the lion, she says, Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Quartzy isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. In this moment, on the boat, in the, the absolute calm after the storm, these disciples knew that Jesus wasn't safe. They were filled with great fear. Rightfully so. Many think that the book of Jonah is being used as a template for this story. And while there's definitely contrast between Jonah and Jesus, look at the, the similarities here in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us, so that we may not perish. The men on Jonah's boat go on to cast lots. The lot falls to Jonah, showing that it was his fault. Verses 9 and 10, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. Sound familiar? Verses 15 and 16. So Jonah tells them to, to cast him into the sea. After some pushback, they actually do it. Verses 15 and 16. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see that? Upon seeing the storm die down in Jonah, these sailors knew that they had just experienced the power of God. Here in Mark, these disciples knew that they were in the presence of God. One greater than Jonah, as Matthew 12, 41 says. One greater than Jonah was standing in their boat. How about Psalm 107, verses 23 through 29? Many think that this text is influencing the way that Mark tells this story. Mark, or Psalm 107, verses 23 through 29. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, 
his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. In this psalm, God is the one who raises the wind and makes the storm be still. Could it be? Could it be, the disciples are thinking? Well, we as the readers of Mark, we've known who Jesus is from chapter 1, verse 1. The disciples are piecing it together in this amazing moment. This is God incarnate standing in front of them in the boat. While he's calmed the storm on the waters, he's stirred up the storm in their hearts. Look at how this story and this chapter ends with a question. Who then is this that even the sea even the wind and the sea obey him. Maybe God has been stirring a storm in your heart the last couple of months. Or maybe even this morning. Who then is this? Who is Jesus? Eternal life and death hang in the balance upon how one answers that question. Not how has the church treated me? Though that's an important question. Not, do I have questions about some things in the Bible? Important question as well. But who is Jesus? Who then is this? He's more than a carpenter. He's more than a good teacher. He's the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, as our kids have learned in their catechisms. He's fully man and fully God. He holds the whole world in his hands, and yet he's near to us. Here's the truth. Every single human being that's ever lived except for Jesus has sinned against God. The amount of wrath that each and every one of us deserve would make that great storm on the Sea of Galilee look like child's play. Because of our rebellion against the Lord and King of the universe, we deserve eternal death and damnation. But that same Jesus who stilled the storm, stilled God's wrath, by dying on the cross. He was buried and rose from the grave three days later, proclaiming victory over sin and death forever. And he calls us to turn from our sin and to trust in him wholly and completely. 
And he promises that when we do, we'll be saved. He cares. He cares if you perish. If you're not a Christian, you've never turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He may be calling you right now. He's not safe, but He's good. Trust in Him this very moment. If you'd like to talk to a pastor about what this means, we encourage you just to to click that live prayer button. We would love to talk to you and pray with you. Answer any question you might have. For those of you who are Christians, I I encourage you to meditate on this text this week. What's your first reaction when you go through a storm? Do you, like the disciples, question Jesus? Or lean in and cling to him? What might he be doing to grow you spiritually through these storms? Second, do you trust that Jesus can calm the storms with a word from his mouth? Do you trust him enough to rest when the world around you is turbulent? Finally, do you fear God? Do you fear God? Not in a scared sort of way, but in a sense of reverence and respect for his holiness and power. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who then is this? Who is Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much once again for who you are. Lord, we stand in awe of who you are. Thank you for your word that you allow us to to peek in and see moments like this in your lives of the disciples. God, they're, they're so instructive for our own hearts because we know that we so often act exactly like them. Lord, forgive us for where we've questioned whether or not you care about us. Lord, you do. You came to this earth and died in our place. You care about us deeply. Lord, forgive us for where we've questioned that in our own lives. Help us to trust you even more. Help us to know that that you can bring calm in the middle of the storm. Help us to fear you. Help us to stand in awe of you. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.